Please turn in your Bibles to the book of John. We are going to be looking at John chapter 11. Every week we profess in the words of the Apostles' Creed how we believe in the resurrection and the life. And that statement really comes from this very passage as Jesus is explaining to Martha who he is. He says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And he marvelously demonstrates that in the well-known story of Lazarus. As Lazarus has died, as he is now buried in a tomb, Jesus comes to this tomb and he demonstrates to you and to me how he has resurrection power in himself by his very words speaking to this dark situation, speaking into this person who has passed on and bringing to him to life by his very words because in Jesus are the very words of life. So let's begin. Um, In John chapter 11, we're going to uh, read in confession together uh, from Lord's Day 22, following this reading of the passage. But let's first uh, examine the text that we have been given this evening. Verse 17, So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she had heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe You would see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. 
And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Such a powerful narrative of the power of Jesus as he calls to his friend, and in a moment he comes bursting out of the tomb because of the power that is within our Savior. Now we're going to look at uh, Lord's Day 22 in connection with this text that professes this very truth. That we have this promise given to us as well. That we too will be resurrected. And we too will have our bodies joined again with our souls. And we will see Jesus in our very flesh. So we begin here in question 57. If you could respond to the question, we will confess this together. It says, how does the resurrection of the body comfort you? Not only will my soul be taken immediately after this life... To Christ its head, but also my very flesh, raised by the power of Christ, will be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. How does the article concerning life everlasting comfort you? Even as I already now experience in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, so after this life I will have perfect blessedness such as no eye has seen. No ear has heard, no heart has ever imagined, a blessedness in which to praise God eternally. Beautiful words that summarize this teaching we have before us. One of the most tragic cries that you often hear in the face of tragedy is one that is on the lips of both Mary and Martha in this passage. Both Mary and Martha, when they come to Jesus... Say, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They are questioning why God has not prevented this tragic situation from taking place. And oftentimes when you go to a a, a tragic scenario, what you will hear is people wondering, God, you could have done something. You could have prevented this. You could have stopped that semi from going through the red lights. You could have stopped my brother from getting this sickness or this illness. You could have stopped those people from going on that trip and falling into that devastating scenario. Why didn't you? What were you doing, God? And we can begin to think that God is just a a bystander. That he is just aloof to our tragedy. That he is far away. Well, this passage gives a totally different scenario of how God relates to our tragedies and our devastations that we will face in this lifetime. Mary and Martha give us a case study to how God reacts to our pain, how God reacts to the trials and tragedies that we face in this world. And so here they are, and Jesus is meeting them in their tragedy, and you are seeing how the Son of God, how God himself is relating to us in the midst of our tragedy. And here we see him ministering this rich 
comfort and hope to us as his people, as the God who knows his people and he knows what we need to hear. He is not aloof to our tragedy. No, he comes and he ministers his gospel hope to us as his people. And so we're going to see here a case study of how God reacts to our pain, how God reacts to our trials and tragedies. And we'll see this through the lens of how Jesus brings comfort to Martha, how he brings comfort to Mary, and how he brings comfort to us all. It's the comfort of truth, it's the comfort of sympathy, and it is the comfort of demonstration that Jesus is exemplifying here in our passage. And so the passage begins, Jesus is a two days trip away from where Martha and Mary are staying. And that the Martha and Mary send a note to Jesus. And they tell Jesus, Jesus, the friend whom you love, he is dying. And now Mary and Martha have been grieving for four days. And they are staying in their home and the Jews have already come and they're there already giving them the comfort that, that uh, was customary in that day. In that time you would have uh, seven days of grieving with that family. And so now they are four days into the tragedy and they must have been wondering, you know, we know Jesus. We know that he loves Lazarus, but where is he? It's been four days and they're wondering, what did Jesus have to do? Does he have nothing to say to us? Why did he ignore the note? Why did he delay his coming? And John makes very clear that the delay that Jesus purposely had in mind was not because he did not love his friend. If you look closely at the passage in John chapter 11 at the very beginning in verse 3, it says that the sisters sent to Jesus and they said, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And John tells us in verse 5 that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So we can begin to think, oh, what, what is Jesus going to do? Did he rush down? Did he drop his itinerant ministry? Did he do all he could to make it down to where Mary and Martha were to help his friend Lazarus? No, what we read in verse 6 is that when Jesus heard this news that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. And what John is making very clear here is that though Jesus is pursuing the glory of God, it is not truncating, it is not uh, tramping down on his love for his people. No, the love of Jesus for Lazarus, for Martha and Mary run parallel to his pursuit of the glory of God. Jesus is delaying here, but this has nothing to do with his negation of his love for his disciples. And we need to know that in the midst of our trials and pains, that Jesus is not aloof. No, he loves his people greatly. And his zeal for his glory is not tramping down, is not running through any obstacle to hurt us on, without purpose, without plan. No, this is all going to work out for his glory. And so now Jesus is coming to the situation. And notice how John picks up on the two very different natures of Martha and Mary. For we read that Mar Mary is seated down in the house of the, those who are coming there to mourn. While Martha is busy, she is attending to all the funeral matters. And what John is doing is he is hinting our minds back to the story of where we see the same image of Martha and Mary. You remember 
As Jesus comes to their house, Martha is busy with all the hospitality matters. She is taking care of her guests. She's doing everything to provide for them. While Mary is seated at the feet of Jesus. And we read in that passage of how Martha comes to Jesus and she says, Jesus, aren't you going to say anything to my sister? And Jesus says, no, Mary has chosen the better half because she's chosen to commune, to dialogue with her God. And now John is hinting at the two very different natures of Mary and Martha because he's showing us how Jesus ministers, how he comforts Mary and how he comforts Martha is actually very different. Because of their very different natures, Jesus, who knows his sheep, who knows who they are, administers the exact comfort they need in the situation they are in. So Mary, Martha, who is busy, who is active, likely hears the news that Jesus is coming into town first. And so she comes out and she meets, uh, meets with Jesus. And she says to Jesus in verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And it can, sound what, it can seem like what Martha is suggesting here is sincere, that she is genuinely saying to Jesus, Lord, you could have stopped this, but even now, I know that you are a powerful God. I know that you've resurrected others in the past. You can now raise up my brother. You can do something about this tragic situation. But it seems when we examine the text a little more carefully... Now, what Martha is saying here is really just a platitude. It's really just a bumper stick, sticker theology. She knows the right thing to say, but her heart is far from the truth of what she is declaring. She says, Lord, even now, if you ask, you could change the situation. You could, uh, you could ask God, and he will, help, he will give you whatever you ask. But notice what Jesus says to her. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And she doesn't jump on that. She doesn't say, oh good, that's exactly what I was hoping you would do. No, even when she is at the tomb and Jesus rolls away the tomb, the, the stone, Martha tells Jesus, Lord, what are you doing? There's going to be a stench. There's going to be the, the, the reek of a dead body. Why are you opening up the tomb? She really, in this time, though she knows the right thing to say, the truth is not in her heart. And you often find this in the face of tragedy when you're talking to people who have gone through something very difficult, that they know the right thing to say, and they'll say these things, but the truth, the comfort of that is far from them. And so Jesus works to bring this comfort that seems distant to Martha, and he works to bring her the comfort of truth and to sink it into her heart. You'll notice it is in this context that we get one of the most powerful I am statements. And all of these I am statements are very significant. Because all the, all the way back in Exodus 3, God would declare to Moses, Tell the Egyptians that I am who I am sent you. In other words, this is the very name of God. And so when Jesus is using these I am statements, he is identifying himself as God himself. And so each time it is revealing more and more of his messianic character. So the statements, I am the good shepherd, I am the true vine, these are statements that are revealing the power of his messianic identity. And here we have in our statement one of the most significant I am statements. Jesus says in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. 
And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? You see, what Jesus is doing with Martha is Martha, Martha knows that Jesus has power to raise people from the dead, but she sees that as something that's way down the road. I know that on the last day, Lord, way, a far way away, you will resurrect my brother. But Jesus says, no, Martha, even now, I am the resurrection and the life. What he is doing is saying, Martha, as you see me, as you see that I am alive and well, you can know that your brother is alive and well. Because he believes in me, because he knows me, you can trust that he is united to me. His life is a part of me, it's bound to me. And so though he may have died physically, he is alive spiritually and he will be raised again by the power that is within me. I am the resurrection and the life. And he's ministering this comfort to Martha. And question 58 of the catechism works to do the very same thing. Notice how it speaks of the article concerning everlasting life. It says, how does this comfort you? And the response is that even as I already now experience in my heart the beginning of eternal life, so after this life I will have perfect blessedness, such as no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has ever imagined. A blessedness in which to praise God eternally. So notice, it's already something that I experience. I already begin to experience this eternal life. Why? Because I believe in Jesus. Because I know who my Savior is. And He is alive. And He is well. And as long as I know that He is alive and He's reigning in the heavens, I can know that my life is safe. It's guarded. It's bound up in His life. And so Jesus is saying, Martha, look at me. You see that I'm alive. You see that I'm well. You can know that your brother who believed in me, he is well, he is alive, and he will be risen again because of the power that is within me. This is the answer to the problem of death that we all need to face. And what I see Jesus doing here is he is pointing Martha, not so much on his capability, but on the promises that he has given us in his word. And so often in the face of tragedy, where we get uh, frustrated is when we think of the power of God. Isn't he the God who made heaven and earth? Isn't he the God who controls all things? Well, then he could have prevented this situation from happening. Couldn't he have? And this is the, the frustration that we see with Martha and Mary and even those comforters that are with uh, uh, Mary. You see them say, Lord, could you not have prevented this man from dying? Could you not have prevented my brother from dying? That's a question of ability. God, we know that you are a powerful God. Why haven't you prevented this situation from happening? But has Jesus promised that life in this world would be easy? No, Jesus says many times that we will go through trials. We will go through tribulations. We will go through pains and we will go through sorrows. But there are so many promises that God gives us that can really provide such a rich comfort in the face of these tragedies. Promises that he is the good shepherd. Promises that he is the resurrection and the life. Promises that he will work all things out together for good. And these are truths that we need to bring deep into our souls. That we need to see how they minister into our present situations. That they're not some far off truth that's distant from us. 
but they are truths that are speaking into our everyday experiences through this world. So if you run to the promises of God, you'll find an immense well of hope and comfort in the face of tragedy. Jesus administers the comfort of truth to Martha. And now we'll see how Jesus comforts Mary by sympathy. You know, Martha and Mary have these very different natures, and it is likely because Mary has this more contemplative nature, this more um, a meditative nature, that she is more prone to become overwhelmed by this tragedy. If we don't see it in their natures, we at least get a hint at it in the words that she says to Jesus, because she begins the exact same way as her sister. But there is a key detail that she leaves off. She says, Lord... If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And she ends there. There's no prospect of hope. There's no, Lord, if you ask, maybe things can be different. No, Mary is overwhelmed in her grief. And she is saying, Lord, you could have prevented this, but you haven't. And now the situation is as dark and as grim as it is because you weren't there in time. And she is overwhelmed by the pain and sorrow of her tragedy. And notice that Jesus does not chide Mary. Jesus does not say, well, hey, Mary, let me tell you this wonderful truth. I am the resurrection and the life. No, Jesus administers a very different uh, comfort to Mary. And it is the comfort of sympathy. We see three different emotions that Jesus is going to show in this situation as Jesus relates to the pain and grief that you can hear in Mary's voice. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And the first thing that we see in Jesus is in anger. It says in verse 33 at the end that Jesus groaned in his spirit. Now, that's an attempt at a translation, but I think when you look at this word in, in all the other contexts in the Bible, you'll see that it's actually speaking of an anger that is arising within. And so take, for example, the lady who poured out the alabaster flask of ointment on the feet of Jesus. You remember what the disciples did. They were angry about this situation. They said, Jesus, why are you allowing this, this oil to be poured on your feet? We could have sold the oil and given it to the poor. Aren't we wasting away this precious ointment? And there is an anger that is stirring up here in the disciples. And that is the same word that is used in this context. And it seems that Jesus is showing an anger at the manifestations of the kingdom of Satan. He's showing an anger at, at the works of the devil, of the him who came to kill and destroy. And when he sees this, it causes an anger to stir up within him. I think if you've ever experienced tragedy, you, you know this emotion is not far off from our own human experience. If you've ever gone to a hospital and you're visiting perhaps a loved one and they're coming down with some illness and you can, you can see the life being drained from them, maybe they have cancer, and you see the life just being sapped from them, I think you are very likely to walk away from that hospital saying, I hate cancer. I hate what it does. I hate the pain that it causes. I hate the tragedy that it brings. That is the type of anger that we see on our Lord. He is angry at the manifestations of sin, on the consequences and pain that is bringing to the world that he has created. He groans in his spirit. And then it says that Jesus 
was not only angry, but he was moved. He was greatly troubled. At the end of verse 33, there is a pain in Jesus for what he sees. You know, this word greatly troubled is a word that is used in the context of very stressful situations. So the disciples hear that Jesus is going to the cross, and we read that they were greatly troubled. So Jesus signifies who it is that is going to betray him. And we see that he was greatly troubled. And now Jesus, at the, at the footstep of going to see his friend who is in the tomb, who is in the grave, and he sees the pain on Mary, and he sees the devastation that it brings, he is greatly troubled. It is hitting him at the core of his being. Does this not tell you you have a high priest who can relate to all your pain, to all your troubles? When he saw what, what devastation this was bringing, it was hitting him at the core of his being. You know, there's, there's all these different reactions to tragedy that you see. You know, some people, they, they, they almost become so completely shocked. They shut down. There's, there's almost no emotion they, that gets through to them because they're so overwhelmed by the situation. And other people, they, they almost just, just have an emotional overload. They, they let out a scream. They are, 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 are full of tears. They, 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 they don't know how to react. And what we see here in Jesus is that he is struck to the core of his being with the tragedy that is before him. He knows our pain. He knows the cost. He knows and shares in all of our trials. And so we see in Jesus... A third emotion. We see a, a compassion for Mary. It says in verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible. I'm sure you've heard, heard of it. Jesus wept, right? Verse 35, Jesus wept. And thank God for this human expression of the care of the Son of God. Lest we think that he is just you know, zealous for his own glory. That he's aloof or a bystander to our tragedies. No, Jesus was there and he did what the Paul tells us to do. He wept with those who wept. He had a compassion that was so deep, it moved him to tears. And I thank God for what the Holy Spirit wrote down in this text as, as the Jews were commenting on the tears of Jesus. It says that when they saw these tears, they said, See how he loved him. The love of Jesus for his friend Lazarus was clear. By the tears that were on his face. Jesus loved his friend deeply. You see, God is not oblivious to our pain. And this is why it is right to mourn and grieve at funerals. Even though we may know they are in a better place. Even though we may know that they are with the Lord. It is right and proper that we grieve for them. Because we have lost a significant person in our lives. And so Jesus here is showing these tears, even though he's, knowing he's going to resurrect his friend. Even though he's, he knows he's going to change the circumstances, he cries in pain for the loss that has occurred. But Jesus does not just give the comfort of truth. He does not just give the comfort of sympathy. We see Jesus giving here a comfort of demonstration. And this is one of the most significant comforts that are given in our text. We see Jesus coming to the tomb now. And he asks that the stone be rolled away. And now this body has been lying in the grave for four days. Why four days? Well, the Jews in that day believed that there was 
in the first three days an opportunity for the spirit of the person to come back into the man. And so Jesus has waited four days very intentionally to let the Jews know and everyone in that time and in our own time that this is not a resuscitation. What Jesus is going to do here is a resurrection. And this tells us that even though our, our bones may decay and our flesh is, 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 is totally taken away from us and we are made as the dust on the earth, Jesus is still able to resurrect our bodies. And so Jesus says, roll away the tomb. And the stench fills the air. They can smell that there has been a body that has been decomposing, that there is the evidence of death all around them. And Jesus, here in this midst, is going to demonstrate the statement that he said to Martha just a few moments earlier. Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And so he goes to the tomb and he shouts out to, the, to his friend, Lazarus, come forth. And he had no other option. Why? Because he was bound to his Savior. His life was united to his Savior. And so now he comes walking out of this tomb to greet the one who has made him. Because he cannot resist the calling power of his Savior. Lazarus, come forth. And I love what Augustine said. He said, Jesus needed to say Lazarus because if he just said come forth, the whole world would have gotten out of their graves. But Jesus says, my friend Lazarus, come forth. He knew, he knew his friend. And because Lazarus believed in Jesus, he was given a resurrection. He was uh, reunited with his body and made alive and well and whole. He didn't need to ask for people to come make it, uh, give him some strength to help him wobble out of the tomb. No, he came walking forth in the power of Jesus' uh, call that he had called him with. I was wondering, why does Jesus state this I am resurrection statement and then show its power in his friend Lazarus? Because Jesus could have very well done this with his own death and resurrection. Jesus says, I have the power to lay down my life and I have the power to take it up again. And he knew full well that he himself in his own life was going to demonstrate that he was the resurrection and the life. I believe why Jesus chose to reveal that statement here and prove it in the life of, of Lazarus is so that you and me could find comfort today. Because we could very well imagine that perhaps the Son of God has the power in himself to raise himself from the dead. But could he really do that for you? And could he really do that for me? And here when we see Lazarus coming out of this tomb well and whole and totally renewed, we understand, oh yes, my God, when he calls me forth, he can renew me both body and soul. And so he is able to reunite my soul with my body and make me one with him. Question 57, how does the resurrection of the body comfort you? Not only will my soul be taken immediately after this life to Christ its head, but also my very flesh, raised by the power of Christ, will be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. Because I believe in Jesus, because I know he is alive and well. I know that even if I die, he will, because I belong to him, body and soul, reunite me, and he will make me alive by his resurrection power. Lazarus is a case study of what is going to happen to every one of us at the call of Jesus on the clouds. 
when he calls us all forth from our graves. And we will come to him, both body and soul, and worship him forever in a new heaven and a new earth. It is in the power of his name that we know this. And notice that the catechism says we are not going to give a, get a body like Lazarus, a body that will again grow old, grow sick, and die. No, we will have a body like Christ's glorious body. If you want to read what, what a body like that would be like, you read 1 Corinthians 15. It says it's a body that doesn't decay. It's a body that doesn't grow weak. It is a body that is not going to become old. No, it is a body that is full of power, is full of life. And we will be made like Christ when we see him. John says we don't know many things of what's going to happen when we die. But we do know that when we see him, we shall be like him. And that is a promise for every one of us as God's children when we believe on him. And notice that Jesus focuses on this, that we believe this statement for ourselves. That's why we confess it every week. I believe in the resurrection and the life. Notice how Jesus, this whole narrative Jesus says is so that we may believe this statement. Verse 41, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. That is why Jesus is doing what he is doing. He says, so that you may believe that he is the Son of God who has the power to raise us from the dead. So that when we come to the tomb, you know, it's very likely when, when, if we were in this situation and we saw Jesus here and we saw death, we would probably say that death is going to win out, wouldn't we? I mean, death has won out in every other case in history. There's no one who has conquered death on their own. But here in a moment, Jesus proves that he is far stronger than death. And in a mere statement, he resurrects his friend by the power of his word. It's so that when we see death, we can say, I know him who has conquered death and is able to resurrect us from the dead. It is Jesus and it is his power that we are made new. Death is swallowed up. In Jesus' death, he conquered death. He put death to death. And now I know because I'm united to him, death has no hold on me. The grave cannot bind me down. I will be reunited with Christ himself. And all of these things work together, Jesus says. As he said to Martha, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? They demonstrate his glory. So what will become clear in the final resurrection, you know, in the midst of all the trials, all the pains, all the tragedies we have experienced, what will become most clear is the glory of God and his love for you, his people. Right? You can imagine Martha and Mary as they are at this tomb. When they see their brother Lazarus rise from the dead, how all that confusion, all those questions, all that pain, all those tears would have flooded away as they see their brother coming out of the tomb. Because what is harder to prevent death from happening or to resurrect and conquer death for good so that has no hold on us ever again? Jesus is demonstrating here that he is showing such a power that he will put death to death and he will even work every situation for the good of those who love him. This is his love for you, his people. 
What will be evident in tragedy is his glory and his love for us. Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe this congregation that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? If you believe this, you can know that all is well, both for body and for soul. Jesus promised us that nothing can separate us from his love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor any creature, anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing is able to separate us, not even death itself. You know, so many want to ignore the question of death. They want to procrastinate the reality that we as humans are finite, and we are shortly coming to our end. And here, Jesus provides the answer to the problem of death. It's a, it's a question we all must face. And here Jesus is showing us that we can walk through the valley of the shadow of death with good confidence. That he will preserve me. He will not abandon me to Sheol. But he will preserve me by his mighty power. And I shall see him face to face in the words of Job. In my own flesh. Because I know that my Redeemer lives. And because he lives, I also will live. As John tells us, because he lives, you also shall live. And if we believe on him, we can have this assurance. We can have this promise. So come to this Savior and find the comfort that you need through all of life's tragedies, through all of life's situations, that you belong to him, body and soul, in life and in death, to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ.